when we think about that passage from Nehemiah this morning, it really does drive home how small we are in God's creation. How seemingly insignificant we are. In, in Star Wars, when Luke Skywalker is trying to describe Tatooine, he says, if there's a bright center to the galaxy, we're on the planet furthest from it. If there's a bright center of God's creation, we are not at the center of it. We are on the periphery. And yet, God sent his son. They called him Jesus. In 2001, uh, George O'Leary was named the head football coach at the University of Notre Dame. I am sure that a man with the last name of O'Leary was excited to be the football coach for the Fighting Irish. There are few jobs in football, college, well, football at all, and especially college football, more prestigious than the head football coach at Notre Dame. But only a couple of days after he had been named, something happened. A reporter called him on his first day at work. And he said, Coach, I got a question for you. I've been calling around to some of your teammates that you played with at New Hampshire, and none of them seem to be able to remember you. Well, you know... I mean, I was on the team, but I never really got to play. I, I hurt my knee one year, and I had mono another year. There must be some sort of mistake. And the reporter kept digging and found out where that mistake came from. That mistake came from 20 years after he supposedly had played at the University of New Hampshire when he was applying for the football job at Syracuse, Coach O'Leary had written down that he had lettered for three years in football at the University of New Hampshire. Because after all, it was just a little white lie, right? But that little white lie cost George O'Leary not only his job as the head football coach at the University of Notre Dame, but also his reputation. Has anyone heard of Coach George O'Leary in the last 20 years? This is a man who was going to be the football coach at Notre Dame. He should be a household name, and yet none of us know who he is. Because on that resume, he lied. The most telling thing of this whole incident is what O'Leary's brother said to a reporter when a reporter asked him about it. He said, and this is a direct quote, Is anyone trying to tell me that resumes are truthful? In the America we live in, the willingness to lie on your resume is an indication of how much you want the job. When I was responsible for hiring people previously, I think sometimes y'all forget sometimes that I had a career before I was a pastor. 
But when I was a hiring manager and a recruiter and going around hiring people, I was trained to assume that people were lying on their resume. For good reason. As best we can tell, upwards of 50% of American resumes contain one or more deceits. One or more falsehoods. We have a lax relationship with the truth these days. And I don't know about you, but it seems to me like it's gotten worse over the last several years. Once upon a time, people at least felt shame if they were caught in a lie. And these days, we just respond with, well, it's my truth. It's how I understand it. I'm not the one lying. He's the one lying. We're surrounded with both actual fake news and accusations of fake news. But here's the thing. Lies are not the way of God. We're continuing our study on the Ten Commandments. We're looking at the Ninth Commandment this morning. Um, You'll be happy to know it is more than three words. So as I ask you to stand with me as we read God's Word together, it won't be for just three words. So will you stand with me? This is from Exodus, chapter 20, verse 16. Do not give false testimony against your neighbor. This is the word of God. Read it, believe it, and live it. Let's pray. Dear gracious God, as we come before you this morning, I just pray that your truth, the truth of your word, the truth of who you are, the truth that is your son, would wash over us that your truth would enliven us, that your truth would embolden us, that your truth would wash any falsehood out of us. God, as we open your word and as we study it this morning, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be acceptable and pleasing to you, our God and our King. Amen. May be seated. Do not give false testimony against your neighbor. Some of you may remember it is this way. What? Do not bear false witness. Testimony, witness. There, there's an implication here. There is an implication in the Hebrew of, of a legal setting. That is absolutely the case. What the commandment is most clearly forbidding here is lying in court. And so we have to ask ourselves, why? Well, I don't know if you realize this, but forensic science is a relatively new thing. There was not CSI Jerusalem. There wasn't this other evidence that could be brought to bear in a courtroom. No, what, what happened most often in a trial was testimony of witnesses. 
I mean, testimony of witnesses is still really important even in today's courts, but it was even more important in the ancient world, or even not even the ancient world, but the world of 100 or 200 years ago, because we didn't have all of these other methods of analyzing evidence. So witnesses were pretty much it. If you were going to have a trial, you needed witnesses, and you needed witnesses to tell the truth. Because if you testified falsely, it could result in someone's death. As we look at Scripture, all that it takes is two witnesses to stand up and condemn someone, and then they are put to death. We see this when Ahab and Jezebel go to steal a vineyard, right? And they conspire to get two men to stand at a banquet and give false witness against the owner of the vineyard, and he is killed right there on the spot. So false testimony could result in someone's death. You wanted to be sure that the person who was giving testimony was truthful. I learned a lot of interesting things living in the 18th century when I worked at Colonial Williamsburg. One of them was this. If you're ever called for jury duty, what's the quickest way to be excused from the jury? To know one of the parties involved, correct? But in in the colonial system, 200 years ago, they wanted people on the jury who knew the parties involved. In fact, they would bring people to court from wherever the locality was to serve on the jury. In Virginia, all felony trials were held in Williamsburg, at the court there in Williamsburg. And so they would, they would pull people from wherever they were to come and serve on the jury. And why was that? Because they knew that neighbors would know who was truthful. They knew that neighbors would know the reputation of the individuals involved and who was more likely to be telling the truth. They didn't want an impartial jury. They wanted a jury steeped in the knowledge of who these men were and their reputations. Now, they wanted them to judge the evidence and the testimony as impartially as possible. But wouldn't that be different than what we have today? If someone you knew got involved in a court case and you got called to be the jury, and here's the thing, you like Jim Bob, you like him a lot, but you also know that Jim Bob can be a little loose with the truth. To be a witness, to be a truthful witness, was important. We've seen over and over again that the the commandments that are enumerated in the Ten Commandments are often the most extreme of whatever it is that God is speaking against. So we have the commandment of do not murder. Jesus informs us that even anger is included in that commandment. We have the commandment to do not commit adultery, but it's clear through Scripture that that's the most extreme form of the sexual immorality that Scripture forbids. 
Likewise, bearing false witness against an individual in court, lying in your testimony, is the most extreme form of lying. Because you held someone's life in your hands, and through your falsehood, could snuff it out. See, here's the thing that Scripture is telling us that we may not like, but that it is true. You know, we all know that expression, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Now, sometimes when that's advice that we give to kids, and it's important, and it's truthful, but here's the thing, it's actually not true. Words can hurt. Words can destroy. Words can, as Scripture is showing us here, words can kill. Words are enormously powerful. It was by word that God created the heavens and the earth. God spoke, and it was. What did he speak? It wasn't a sound. It was, it was a word. John tells us that it was the Logos, the Word made flesh, Jesus Christ. Words are powerful, and so we must be careful with them. And so the, 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 the particular of the commandment is do not bear false witness. The generality is don't lie. Okay, but why? Okay, in, in a court of law, I get it. Someone's life is in my hands. But what difference does it make if I'm standing in the line at the grocery store and I'm talking to somebody and I tell them that this week I caught six 15-pound bass when I really caught one three-ounce bass? Are bass even that small? I don't know. But you, you get the picture, right? Right? Why? What difference does that make? It's just a little white lie. I'm sure that's what George O'Leary told himself when he wrote down on his resume, three years, Letterman, football, University of New Hampshire. We are made in the image of God. Scripture tells us that we are made in God's image. And God is a God of truth. In fact, God is truth. Jesus is God. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Therefore, God is truth. It's Satan, Scripture tells us, that's a liar and the father of lies. To, to lie is to be making oneself in the image of Satan and not in the image of God. Think about that. The next time you're tempted to just exaggerate, throw out a little falsehood, lie to spare someone's feelings, you're making yourself 
in the image of Satan. Not God. God despises any falsehood, any prevarication, any deception. In fact, it was through deception, it was through a lie that sin entered humanity. That's what the serpent does, right? He comes, and he doesn't, he doesn't like bald-faced lie, right? He just deceives. He just tells a little lie. Tells a, a half-truth. Did God really say you can't eat any fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Well, no, that's not what God said. And, and with that deception, the hook was set. Then what happens? Immediately following that, what are we told? We're told that, that God comes down to walk in the garden in the cool of the evening. And what happens? Adam and Eve hide. They're trying to deceive God. Well, maybe if I just hide in the bushes, God won't know where I am. Let me tell you, hiding in the bushes may hide you from any number of people or things. It will not hide you from God. That's what they thought. They're, they're trying to deceive. And even then, what happens? When God finally pins them down, what do they do? They still keep trying to deceive and pass the buck. Well, it wasn't me, God. It was her. Oh, it wasn't me, God. It was the snake. Deception. And through deception and lies, sin entered into us. It's because lies are how Satan does his work. You want to be a tool of Satan? You want to be made in the image of Satan? You want to see Satan's influence grow? Lie. Deceive. Tell a, a half-truth. Leave out the important detail. Mislead. When you do those things, you are not serving the kingdom of God. You are not serving God. You are serving the kingdom of Satan. That's why we don't lie. So, this is often the point where we ask ourselves, okay, well, what's out? This is the question we often ask ourselves when we're trying to, like, figure out the rules so that we can cut as close to the line as possible. Right? It's like when you had your 10 o'clock curfew when you were a kid and you made sure that every Friday you came in at 9 o'clock and 59 minutes and 59 seconds. I mean, you, you were technically home on time, but you were cutting it as close to the line as you could. We do that all the time, right? Sorry, Jeff. How many of us pour over tax code figuring out how close to the line we can get without going over? I only pick on that because it's something we all do. Don't we? 
In fact, we ask good accountants to do it for us because we don't want to pay as much in taxes. And so that that dinner that we had, well, I mean, I mentioned the business, so it's a business expense, right? Well, I fully intend on taking clients out on the boat, so, so the, the, the business is going to buy the boat, and it's a business expense. Now we're getting a little, a little over the line, right? This is how people end up in jail. Because they cut the line. So when we start asking ourselves, okay, well, what's actually out? I just want us to be clear that when we start doing that, we're cutting the line. We're seeing how close we can get to breaking the rule without breaking the rule. And that's what our, our sinful, broken hearts want to do. But there are two things that I do want us to look at. There are all sorts of things that are out. There are all sorts of deception and prevarication and falsehoods and lies that are out. But there are two things in particular that I want us to talk about this morning. The first of those is gossip, and the second of these is hypocrisy. This is the point where if you've got steel-toed boots, put them on. Gossiping is one of those things that none of us do, right? Again, when I lived in the 18th century, gossip was against the law. And so you never gossiped. You just shared the news. I'm not gossiping. I'm just sharing the news. You see, we we think of gossip as sharing falsehoods about another person. And it can be that. But it's also possible to gossip by passing the truth along for no good reason. To to say a true thing to the wrong person and for the wrong reason. Oh, did you see that thing that happened at church today? Let me pick up the phone and call people. Oh, did you hear that so-and-so is stepping out on his wife? How many people can I call and tell the news to? Mm -mm 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 -mm. Did you know that I saw her dancing with a man who was not her husband down at the beach? I'm going to make sure that all the guys I have coffee with this morning know about it. Pause. We have this enculturated idea that gossip is only a woman's issue. Some of the biggest gossips in this community are the men. Unpause. We can do this. These are all truthful things, right? You really did see her dancing with someone who wasn't her husband. He really is stepping out on somebody. That thing really did happen at church. But why are you picking up the phone and telling somebody when it's none of your business? When it's none of their business? 
Why are you getting up in other people's business? I know it's a small town, guys, but stop it. You want to know what's killing this church? Gossip. I told you to put your steel toe boots on. We can share the truth and share it for the wrong reasons. We can also slide into slander really quick. We can start assuming motives. We can start assuming the worst in other people instead of assuming the best. This is one of the biggest diseases that is affecting God's church at this time. You want to see this? Get on social media. Pastors going after each other, trying to rip each other's throats out on social media because they're assuming the worst about another pastor or another Christian or another author. Instead of sitting down and saying, brother, you said this. What did you mean by that? Because when I hear this, it makes me uncomfortable. Is that what you meant or did you mean something else? Well, we don't do that, do we? We just assume The worst, he's really mad at me. She's really mad at him. We don't give the benefit of the doubt. And then we start sharing a true thing for the sake of hurting another person. Hey, did you hear that this person had this trouble a number of years ago? You need to not have anything to do with them. There's an old rabbinic saying that gossip kills three people. It kills the person who utters it. It kills the person who hears it. And it kills the person who it's about. Gossip is damaging. And it's not just damaging to the person that it's about. It's damaging to those of us who engage in it as well. Gossip can and will kill a church and a community faster than just about anything else. And it's everyone's responsibility to stop it. So the next time someone picks up the phone and calls you and says, did you hear? Hey, before we continue this conversation, let's pray about this. Now, What were you going to say? Many of the commandments forbid us to do something. So this forbids us to lie. But but the flip side of that, the corollary to that, is always a commandment to do something. If this commandment is to tell us not to lie, then it's commanding us to tell the truth. George Orwell said, in in a time of universal deceit, telling the truth is a revolutionary act. That includes telling the truth in a culture that doesn't want to hear or even believe in the truth. As I said a while ago, we live in a culture of lies. More and more of us are comfortable lying as quick as we put on our pants in the morning. One of the top things that we lie about is ourselves. 
how easy is it to get on this little device and post a picture to Instagram or a post on Facebook or put up something on Twitter or send a text message and lie about ourselves? Great day-to-day at church. Without telling the truth, but there was eight toddler meltdowns and three arguments on the way out the door. Picture of you at the beach. Hashtag living my best life. Yeah. Except for the sunburn and the substance abuse and the failed marriage. Sure. Living your best life. See, we've got to tell the truth in a culture of lies. And it's hard. But the hardest thing to tell the truth about in a culture of lies is to tell the truth about ourselves. Because if we're not telling the truth about ourselves, then we're hypocrites. To not tell the truth about ourselves, that is, that is ultimately, fundamentally, what hypocrisy is. To not tell the truth about ourselves. I saw a thing this morning. This morning, last night, on Twitter. I don't know if the, the picture. I don't know if the picture made it into the, the graph made it into the presentation or not this morning. But uh, I'll post it on my on my Facebook. Thirty one percent of Americans have confidence in the church. 31%. In 1975, it was 68%. You know what shatters people's confidence in the church? You want to know what drives young people out of the church so that they won't come back? You want to know that what keeps people from stepping in the doors when we don't tell the truth about ourselves when we're hypocrites. There's a story in the fifth chapter of Acts. And I don't normally do this, but I'm going to read Scripture for a second time. I'm going to read the whole story because I think it's important. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. However, he kept back part of the proceeds with his wife's knowledge and brought a portion of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. And Ananias, Peter said, Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the proceeds of the land? Wasn't it yours while you possessed it? And after it sold, wasn't it at your disposal? Why is it that you planned this thing in your heart? You have not lied to the people, but to God. When he heard these words, Ananias dropped dead, and a great fear came on all who heard. The young men got up, wrapped his body, carried him out, and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Tell me, Peter asked her, did you sell the land for this price? Yes, she said, for that price. Then Peter said to her, why did you agree to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. Instantly, she dropped dead at his feet. When the young men came in, they found her carried her out, and buried her beside her husband. 
And then great fear came on the whole church and all who heard these things. This is one of those stories in Scripture that can make people really uncomfortable. People don't like the idea of people dropping dead in church. There are three things that we see here. Ananias and Sapphira's sin was not the fact that they sold the land and they gave a portion to the church. It was their land. They were under no command to sell it. They were under no command to give it all to the church. They could have done anything they wanted to with it. They could have come in and said, I sold the land, here is a portion of it, and everyone would have thought it wonderful. Ananias and Sapphira's sin was they sold the land, they came into the church, and then they lied about it. They said that they had sold it for this price, and that was what they were giving to the church. Peter makes it clear that their sin was the deception, not the holding back of the money. The deception that went with it. Peter also makes clear that the sin comes from Satan. And he also makes it clear that they sinned against the Holy Spirit. That they tried to lie to God. If you can't hide yourself in a bush from God, you can't hide the truth from Him either. Does this story shock you? Does this story scare you? That's that's the last word we have in it, right? Then great fear came over the whole church and all who heard these things. Why? Why were the people scared? Imagine if this happened here. Does a chill run down your spine? Here's the thing, Ananias and Sapphira, by all accounts, are good church-going people. They were in worship, they were singing hymns, they were in Bible study, and the next day they were dead and buried. And it scared the people of the church. Because the lie that Ananias and Sapphira told was no worse than many that they had told. After all, it was really just an exaggeration, right? It was an arithmetic error. I played three years at the University of New Hampshire. Drop dead. Pastor, I put X amount of money in the plate this morning. Drop dead. Did you know, folks, my Sunday school class that I spent time every day this week in the Word of God, dead. Because here's the truth. If God will kill Ananias and Sapphira for their sin, then we are all in danger. There are few things that God hates more than Christians who lie to make themselves more righteous looking. 
Over and over and over again, God makes it clear how much he hates hypocrisy. See, our testimony should not be how righteous we are. Our testimony should be how unrighteous we are and how we are saved by grace. Brothers and sisters, we are so guilty that the Son of God had to come down and be crucified on a cross for us. There is no righteousness in us. Stop acting like it. Stop acting like you're better than the next guy. You're not. Why do we try and pretend that we are anything other than a sinner saved by grace? Because that is the most beautiful thing in the world. It's like these, it's like these people who have everything and then they throw it away for, for a second-rate version of it. Why would we do that? Why would we act like we have it all together when it's a lie? And it's not just a lie. It's a denial of the grace of God. When you act like you have it all together, when you flout your righteousness in front of other people, when you act like you're better than everybody else, and we all do it. Right? Can we be honest? We all do it. When we do that, we are throwing the sacrifice of Christ back in God's face. I don't want that. We are denying the most beautiful thing that God has ever done for us. We must confront the truth about ourselves. We must see that we are sinners in need of grace. Toward the end of his life, as Jesus was preaching in Jerusalem, there is this entire chapter of Matthew dedicated to him calling out hypocrites. Chapter 23. But just listen to this. This is starting in verse 29. Woe to you, religious folks, You build tombs of the prophets and decorate the graves of the righteous. And you say, if we had lived in the days of our ancestors, we wouldn't have taken part with them in the shedding of the prophets' blood. So you testify against yourselves that you are descendants of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your ancestors' sin. Just prior to that, woe to you, religious folks, Hypocrites, you are like whitewashed tombs, which appear beautiful on the outside, but inside are full of bones of the dead and every kind of impurity. In the same way, on the outside you seem righteous to people, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. When we're willing to be honest and tell the truth about ourselves, when we're willing to stop being hypocrites, to be honest about who we are, 
to tell the truth about our sin and about ourselves, we are then able to see the truth of who Jesus is and what he has done for us. He told us, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. This is the truth that he wants us to see. This is the truth that will set us free. Because it's only when we see the truth about our sin. It's only when we see the truth about ourselves and start telling the truth about ourselves. And stop acting different at home than we do at church. It's only when we become people of integrity. Honest, forthright about who we are and about our sin. That we are sinners in need of grace struggling every day with our sanctification. It's only then that we can see the need for our Savior and respond. Don't bear false witness. Don't lie. Don't lie about other people. And for your own sake, for the sake of your eternal soul, do not lie about yourself. There are going to be a lot of people in hell who sat in church pews every Sunday, who told everybody how righteous they were, how great they were, how lovely they were, but they lied about themselves and never saw the truth of their sin and their need for a Savior. Words don't cut it. The heart cuts it. Our hymn of invitation this morning is hymn number 44, For the Beauty of the Earth. That was last week's. She didn't write it down for me. She's going